Good morning. How lovely to see you, 502. And uh, how amazing is it that we get to be together and sing a line and know it to be true, like we've just sung, surely our God is in this place. Isn't that amazing? I think just take a moment just to kind of consider the, the truth of that. It's incredible. Um, as Matthew said, uh, we're starting a new preaching series today. It's called Jesus, Man of Action. And uh, yeah, as Matt said, six episodes, six weeks, taking us through the summer, looking at kind of some of the um, episodes of the life of Jesus and uh, the work of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark. And uh, yeah, man of action, because of course that's what Jesus is. But also in particular, this, this Gospel, the Gospel of Mark, perhaps more so than Matthew, Luke, and John, is written in a really fast-paced uh, action oriented, scene-to-scene narrative style. If, um, I don't know, so the Gospel of John is perhaps down the gone with the wind end of the storytelling scale. The Gospel of Mark is a bit more fast and furious. It's a great book, really, uh, really recommend uh, over the summer. Take some time to read the Gospel of Mark, it's great. And it starts with a bang, it starts verse one, this is the good news, listen up. And then we're off to the races. We hear very little, in fact nothing, about the birth or the childhood of Jesus. Straight away he's being baptized by John the Baptist and the Spirit of God comes on him and then it's just seatbelts on time for 16 chapters. By the end of chapter 1, Jesus has already been out in the wilderness. He's being tempted by Satan for 40 days. He's called his disciples. He's preaching this radical new message of, of new life and freedom for anyone who responds to him. He's healing people, he's casting out demons, he's cleansing lepers, he's turning towns and villages upside down wherever he goes, and we're still not even out of chapter one of the story. And that shouldn't surprise us an awful lot because we're only 15 verses into this gospel when Mark chooses to record the very first thing that Jesus says And he thinks this is the important first thing to say. And we'll be centering on this today. Jesus says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Up until that point, the whole story of God and his people, generations and centuries of tumult and war and freedom and captivity, the rise and fall of nations, it all points to this moment. It all points to now. The kingdom is near. Jesus has come. In other words, God, his rule and reign over humanity, his plan to redeem and rescue all people is coming in a new way into the world through Jesus. And that meant that now what Jesus was announcing, what was being announced was that anybody could draw near to God and be saved through faith in his son, And the way to access the salvation, repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. That's still the invitation today, of course, if you want to know salvation. Maybe you're here today trying to work out what you're believing about God or what you need to do to be saved. Here's the bottom line. Repent of your sins. In other words, recognize that you've lived apart from God and resolve to change that and believe that Jesus is Lord of all and that only he can forgive you and heal you and save you. 
which brings us skidding neatly into our passage this morning. We're going to read in a moment from Mark 2, verses 1 to 12, which is a story aptly aptly entitled, uh, Jesus Forgives and Heals a Paralyzed Man. And in this passage, we kind of double-click on a story and expand a story that sums up this entire theme that the kingdom is now near and that what is required for you and I to come in is that you need someone who is able to forgive your wrongdoing and demonstrate the power of God in order that you might have faith in him and know the nearness of his kingdom. Words will come up on the screen. Let's, uh, let's look at the story together. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, well, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the man, sorry, lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, unsurprisingly, and they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. Okay, if you've never heard this story before, it can sound crazy. Jesus is at someone's house and he's preaching and we know from the rest of the gospels that everywhere Jesus goes, he attracts a big crowd. And so the house and the surrounding area just fills up with onlookers to the extent that the only way to get to him is through the roof. And so four guys, four friends, bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus, who's obviously gaining a reputation as a healer, and they climb up the stairs on the outside of the house that would have been common on houses in that, in that region, and they get up onto this flat roof, which again would have been common of houses in that region, and they start to dig through the roof, which would have been, I mean, this picture is, is possibly something about similar to what it would have been like. It would have been made of dried mud and slats of wood. So it would have been easy to remove and quite easy again to fix. And then they lower this paralyzed guy on the stretcher through the roof. And you can imagine, everyone is looking. The Pharisees, the the guardians of religious orthodoxy, they're probably sitting there taking notes, trying to catch Jesus out. They're probably looking on with disdain. This just isn't proper. I imagine Jesus might have stopped talking at that point and there's stuff falling all over the place and this guy gets lowered down to the feet of Jesus. Hole in the roof. Four guys peering in. Hello. Jesus and the Pharisees and the crowd looking up. What, what on earth's going on? Paralyzed man on the floor. Pharisees are probably shaking their heads in disgust. And then this beautiful verse. Verse five. When Jesus saw the faith of the friends, he said to the paralyzed man, 
son, your sins are forgiven. Remember how I said at the start of his ministry, Jesus has said, the time has come. The kingdom is near. Repent of your sins and believe. Well, here's Jesus essentially saying, here is the kingdom. God is king, and he has promised as king to make right what our sin has made wrong. And in everything that I say and do, I will demonstrate this, because I'm Emmanuel. I am God with us. This is, I am God come near to you. What I bring and embody and represent is the rule and the reign of God over the hearts and lives of mankind. And in response to your faith and belief in me, I forgive your sins, son. Your sins are forgiven. Now the Pharisees, of course, are furious at this and in their hearts they're accusing him of blasphemy and that's because every good Pharisee, every teacher of the law of God would know without doubt what the scripture said, that only God can forgive sins. And Jesus perceives this anger in his own heart because as he's about to demonstrate, as the son of God, as the exact representation of God, he carries around the authority and power and rule and reign of God himself. In everything he says and does, the kingdom comes, which is why he's able to say, hey, the kingdom's near to you. The very presence of God is here. You're looking at it. And then he says to them, what do you think's easier, for me to say that this guy's sins are forgiven or for me to heal his paralysis? After all, on the face of it, anyone's able to claim to forgive sins. That part is easy. But let me also show you something of God's power that you might see and believe that divine power and authority resides in me. And when you do, you'll know that I have divine authority to forgive sins. And so, paralytic man, take up your mat and walk home which is what he does. And the implication would have been immediately clear. God has come to them in the person of Jesus and is fully authorized and empowered to forgive sins and to heal. And everyone joins the dots because in verse 12, it says, as the paralytic man walked in front of them, everyone praised God. That's what all the miracles and signs of Jesus were meant to do. They weren't meant to somehow puff him up or make him famous. It was to provide evidence that he had divine authority, that he was divine, that he was God with them, and that the time had come. The kingdom was now at hand. Repent and believe. Let's look at a few things that this story teaches us and that Jesus teaches us through this account. The first thing is there is a clear call in the story to demonstrate faith in the right places. This story should really be a little bit of a wake-up call to us in terms of where we go to for our strength and supply and salvation. I've, I've talked about this so many times before, it's a bit of a bugbear for me, that in our day and age, everybody seems to have the answers. Eat this, work here, dress like that, do this, don't do that, and life will work out well for you. Did you know there are over 3.5 billion Google searches per day? That's 40,000 per second. And unsurprisingly, amongst the top Google searches in the world are how to lose weight, how to make money, how to get pregnant, and worryingly, how many days until Christmas? 
<laughs> so this week, I had a go, and I typed one of those questions into Google to see what would happen. How do I make money? And within half a second, I got 3.8 billion possible results. That means that according to Google, there is more than one possible answer to, for how to make money for every single individual in North and South America, Africa, Australia, and Europe. How is it that we're not all millionaires? I don't think much more needs to be said about the all-pervasive flow of worldly wisdom and advice being offered to us in our culture. But not one of those 3.8 billion Google responses can resolve what needs resolving in your life. That you are separated by, from God by your sin. In that sense, you carry a sickness far worse than paralysis in your heart and soul, and that you need one search result, one person to forgive your sins and to heal your soul. I wonder if that story had happened today, whether those four friends would have Googled how to heal your friend of paralysis. I actually tried that this week too. Astonishingly, I got 21 million results. <laughs> but devoid of the kind of the cheap and easy search engine output uh, that was available in those days, these four guys knew what needed to be done for a broken man to be made whole again. Get to Jesus any way you can. And when presented with obstacles, climb onto the obstacle or over the obstacle and tear through the roof. What obstacles might need removing for you to get close to Jesus? Too busy to pray? Find the Bible too boring? Haven't got the time to just sit and be with Jesus? Well, you might need to rip a hole in that roof. You say, don't pray because I just don't know how to. Well, rip open the roof by saying, Jesus, help me. I don't know how to pray. There, you're praying. Obsessively checking Facebook and emails every few minutes in the hope that someone somewhere has remembered and noticed you because you're desperate for connection and, uh, and love somewhere because deep down under all the social media checking, perhaps you're nursing a broken heart because it's not yet known the purpose for which it was designed for someone to say, I do love you. I do know you, and I do accept you. Of course, there is one who knows you and loves you and accepts you. Rip open the roof. Get to Jesus. And look what happens when you do in the story. Forgiveness and healing. The kingdom is near to you. From your vantage point, it may well have a, a dried mud and wooden slattered roof over it. That's okay. That stuff is easily scraped away. You might even need some friends to help you to scrape that away through counsel and prayer, like those four men did. It's all about a choice to go after Jesus, a decision of faith. That's what it is, that he's better than the other stuff. To set your sights on getting to him and being with him, whatever. Second thing the story tells us is that at the root of all of our problems, the answer is always the gospel. In the first century, the belief amongst the Jewish people of that region was that if you were sick, it was because you had sinned, and that in response to your sin, you had been cursed by God. The rabbis actually had a saying. They said, there is no sick man healed of his sickness until all his sins have been forgiven him. So to the Jews, a sick man was a man with whom God was angry. 
That was a widespread belief. It says in John 9 that uh, on one occasion, Jesus and the disciples encounter a blind man, and the disciples ask Jesus, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It was a, a, a prevalence, but it was actually a misguided belief that all physical suffering could be traced back to a person's sin. And therefore, by implication, the only way to be healed or healthy was either to not sin, which is impossible, or to have your sins forgiven by God. And so this poor paralytic being lowered through the roof would have likely felt cursed and unloved by God. That's how people would have explained his suffering. He'd done wrong, and now you're being punished by God. What he thinks he needs is something physical, someone to heal his legs. But his need is so much greater. He needs healing of the soul. He needs the kindness of a savior like we all do. His problem is only partly because his legs don't work, but his greatest problem is that his soul is broken. He thinks God, if God even exists, is far from him and has stricken him. But listen again to how Jesus greets this man. He says to him what he says to all of us as we approach him. Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. You are loved and accepted. Or as the writer William Barclay puts it, God isn't angry with you. Come home. My, um, my own experience of religion, I don't know what it was like for you guys when you all started to, maybe you came to faith later in life and had similar experiences. But my, my own experience of, of religion made me believe that God was angry with me. That was the kind of the message that I had taken and formed in my mind in the earlier years of my life and uh, that he was angry with us all, frankly, and that he really just wanted to punish us. He was looking for opportunities to punish us. And that bred in me a belief that if I wanted to be close to God, I would need to do something, I'd need to do anything really to, to appease this God and work really hard to swing the, the kind of the balance of my good and bad deeds back in my favor so that God might just look at me and receive me and not be angry with me. That took some work and took some undoing and I really wish I'd paid more attention to this story at the time because that's not what happened to this poor paralytic who just dropped dry mud and wood and muck onto the head of the Son of God as he came through a roof. Can you imagine spending your whole life looking down at these legs which are of no use and thinking, it's because God's angry with me. God hates me. Now imagine what it would have felt like as that same man comes face to face with God as he lays broken on this mat on the floor and the first thing he hears is, son, your sins are forgiven. That's grace. That's the gospel. Do you need to hear that message again today? God isn't angry with you because Jesus went to the cross for you and bore the penalty of sin that was hanging over you. Your sins are forgiven. You are loved and accepted. Come home. The kingdom is near. The final thing, and this one is one that we need to get into us with an unwavering certainty because it's a real game changer for how you live this life. When Jesus speaks, at any point, those words have a cast iron authority and truth about them. So in order to live this life right and to find freedom and hope in every situation, we need to hear and read and recite and repeat to ourselves the words of Jesus. Believe Jesus. Sometimes we talk about this as learning to preach the gospel to yourself. 
If you were to ask me for my advice on any matter, no matter how big or small, I'll say to you what I've learned in my 46 years on this planet, that there may be some practical changes on the one hand that need making, but on the other hand, there is always something of the gospel that you either need to recall or to better believe and to hold on to. So let me help you to do that. That's how I live my own life. Now, I don't want to give you the impression that if you don't read your Bible or if you struggle to believe that somehow bad things will happen to you, there's nowhere that the Bible teaches that. But what I am saying is that rather when you do face life's challenges, aside from some practical wisdom that you might need to apply, always there is something in the gospel that you need to believe afresh in order to find peace and rest and healing for your soul and freedom and confidence in your walk. It's like this, in John 6, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's lamenting the fact that many people who had followed him up to that point uh, decided to leave and they said, these teachings of yours are just too hard for us. And so Jesus says, he turns to the 12 and he says, are you guys gonna leave me as well? And Peter replies with this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. This world, this part of the world would have been just packed with holy men and clairvoyants and mystics and all sorts of people offering a, a version of spiritual and practical truth. But Peter has heard the truth. He has seen the truth. He's experienced the truth. He's experienced the kingdom come near, and his answer is resolute, as should be ours. Where on earth would we go to look for and find truth? Where? You alone, Jesus have the words of eternal life. This story isn't, it's not about a holy man in the Middle East who makes potions or casts a spell that makes skin diseases go away or heals paralytic legs. This is a story about God come down to be with those he loves, to seek out the lost and broken and pronounce with his life-giving words forgiveness of sins and healing of souls and maybe of broken legs, his are the words, the only words that will give you fullness of life now and life in eternity with God thereafter. There's just no part of what Jesus says that is somehow open to question. And that is very often in my experience when I notice people stumble, they kind of believe some of the gospel, but they don't want to believe all of it. And like those followers who walked away from him because those teachings were too hard, we walk away from life and love in Jesus. And when you walk away from life and love in Jesus, you walk in the opposite direction of death and captivity. In this passage, Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. He says to the crowd and to the teachers of the law, uh, as this paralytic lays before him, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, I say to you, rise up. I don't know if you know this, but um, the Son of Man is a term that Jesus uses to describe himself. It's actually the term he uses more than any other term in the Gospels. He doesn't refer to himself as teacher or rabbi or savior or the Christ. He calls himself the Son of Man. And it refers to a prophecy from Daniel 7, in the book of Daniel, of course, in which Daniel has a terrifying vision of empires which will rise up against the people of God throughout history. And in the very midst of that vision, he says this, 
In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, that's God, and was led into his presence. And he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. What Daniel was prophesying thousands of years previously was that all throughout history, until the very final fulfillment of things, when the kingdom is fully established at the end of time, that we will face many troubles. That's how people in the first century would have made sense of their situation and the, the oppression of the Roman Empire, but they would have also held on to these words with great expectation of the coming Messiah as well. One, like a son of man was coming, with all dominion and glory and authority and a kingdom established by God for his people that would bring liberation and joy and peace and that will never pass away. Those poor people in Israel in the first century, they would have bemoaned their oppressive situation and they would have prayed for the coming of their Messiah, the one that Daniel calls the Son of Man and here he is in this dusty house, surrounded by poor folk, a paralyzed bloke drops in front of him through a roof, and the Pharisees all lean forward to see what he'll do next, looking for an opportunity to accuse him of blasphemy. And he says, so that you will know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, son, get up and walk. The kingdom is near. The kingdom that Daniel prophesied all those years ago, the kingdom that would announce freedom to captives like you and me and salvation to all who will believe. Well, that kingdom is near to you. That's why in Luke 17, Jesus says to the Pharisees, the kingdom of God is in your very midst. What the people of God had long awaited, Jesus is now inaugurating. Repent and believe. Now, think again about the characters in the story. Maybe today you can associate with one of them. At the start of the story, we had a sick, cursed, lonely man who felt very far from God. Maybe that's you. Maybe you feel like that today. We had four friends who were just holding on to a, a glimmer of faith, prepared to trust that just maybe this Jesus was all that he claimed to be. Or maybe that's you this morning. We had some suspicious judgmental Pharisees who came to inspect and investigate God with assumptions about what he was like and perhaps in their minds what he should be like. Well, maybe that's you. And we have a crowd who are leaning in, waiting to see what might happen, who'd never actually experienced the power of God in their lives. Maybe that's you. And maybe there's an obstacle. In this case, it's a dry mud roof separating all these people from a powerful encounter with God. Well, maybe there's an obstacle in your life that needs removing. Maybe that speaks to you. And then we have Jesus, the Son of Man, who takes away sins, forgives, heals, and announces gateway, the kingdom is near. By the end of the story, just a few short verses, the sick man's healed, the faith of the friends has been rewarded, the obstacle to faith had been removed, the opponents of God have been exposed, and the watching world are brought to wonder and worship. 
That's what Jesus, the man of action, does. Now, if you can associate with one of those characters, maybe you feel far from God and that he's displeased with you, well, this story is for you. If you maybe have just a glimmer of trust, a glimmer of hope, and you, you're looking, you're trying to lower a hopeless situation through the roof to him, and you're just hoping for the best, well, maybe the story is for you as well. And if you're an unconvinced onlooker, well, the story is for you as well. If there's a barrier that needs removing in your life so that you can encounter the fullness of the power of God, this story is for you. This story shows us the power and the potential of the gospel for all sorts of people. He forgives sins. He heals souls. He whispers, the kingdom is near to you. My words have the power of eternal life. Now come. And that will have implications all over the place for your life. You might need to get a pen and paper and the Bible out at some, some point and get practical about this. Read his words and find out what he actually says about himself and about you and about the state of the world and about the glorious future plans that he has for you. I've made my kids do that. I've said, I want you to go and find some verses that express who God says he is and what he says about you. So you're not left guessing because we've got to believe Jesus. We've got to believe his word. Believe the words of Jesus, read his word, hear it explained and find freedom for your souls. Find healing for your hearts and find eternal life. I'm gonna pray for us in just a moment, but before I do, I just wanna remind you, you might have heard the story already about the words of a couple of disciples who one day encountered Jesus as they were walking down a road to a town called Emmaus and they were just reflecting on their experience. They said, were our hearts not burning within us while he talked with us and opened the scriptures to us? When was the last time your heart burned as you made time to be with Jesus and to listen to his words and to consider his love and mercy towards you and to try to hold on to what he was saying? Maybe this week you need to peel back the roof and get to him again and call out, Lord, will you open your word to me? Will you speak to me and teach me what I need to know of you and what that means for me? Help my heart to burn within me again. When Jesus speaks, it's 100% true and reliable. When he announces that you are forgiven and that he is near to you, there is absolutely no ambiguity about either of those statements. There is power and authority in Jesus alone to forgive sins. And the forgiveness of sins is the healing of your soul. So repent and believe. Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. There is healing for you in Jesus. God is not angry with you. He has drawn near to you. The kingdom is near. Jesus has made it so. Repent and believe and come to him today. Let's pray. Why don't you stand with me as we do this? And even just a simple act of standing might be a, a kind of sign of your response. But maybe something I've said today has impacted you specifically and you need to know the kindness of the Savior. The, maybe you need to repent again and say, I've got that wrong, I, I need to turn away from that. Maybe you need help today again believing Jesus. 
Maybe you need to be filled again with the Holy Spirit so that your eyes might be opened and your hearts might burn within you. And if that's so, well, that's fine. Just hold out your hands like this. We're going to pray and we're going to hold out our hands in expectation that God will come and will move us. Jesus, thank you so much for this account, this story, which it's so easy to just skim by and turn into just a, a kind of banal encounter of a group of blokes and a, a dusty house and kind of a weird story about a guy coming through the roof. But thank you that in this story and in so much else of what you say to us, you tell us that you have come as God to us to help us, to forgive us of our sins and to heal us and that now the kingdom is near to us. And I pray, Lord, that for my brothers and sisters here today, if they need to know again that the kingdom is theirs, the kingdom is near to them, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would help them to do that. And I pray, Lord, that for anyone who's carrying soul sickness and heart sickness, God, would you heal today? Would you help them to know that it's not that some of their sins have been forgiven, but all their sins have been forgiven. When you went to the cross, you nailed every single one to the cross and it's gone. It's been removed from us as far as the east is from the west. When you say to us, come, it's not some people come. It's not once you've got stuff right, come. It's not once you've repaired those broken relationships and got your head straight, come. It's all people in any condition, come to me. I pray this morning that we would know that afresh. Lord, as we sing our songs now, let there be a declaration of praise, but let there be a declaration of repentance. Let there be a declaration or a calling down of heaven. And I pray, God, that you would help us and strengthen us now as you are glorified. Amen.